Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to a brand new episode of Ringside Rewind. I am your host, Chris Jardine, a.k.a. Snaggle J. Of course, I have my co-pilot, the best wingman in the business, and the other half of our podcast wrestling tag team champions of the world, Mr. Chris Doyle. Snaggle J, how are we doing? We're all set to go all in on this episode. Yeah, listen, I uh, when you proposed this idea uh, during our last recording and you were like, I got an idea of what we could do. Like, let's talk about, like, the whole thing that led to the creation of AEW. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm very excited. This is going to be an episode that is going to span two parts. Uh, obviously, we're going to do part one today. Part two will release a couple of weeks from now. Uh, it is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to... Uh, talking about it. I know it's a little more recent in, in, in history compared to literally anything else that we've done uh, so far here on the Rewind, but I do feel like this is going to be a, a a great couple of episodes. I'm really looking forward to doing it. I've been looking forward to recording it for a couple of weeks uh, as we're going to dive into everything and anything that was on the road to kind of the landscape that we're in now. Uh, you know, uh, which is AEW is a real player on the wrestling scene. And this is a good week, I think, to do this, because as we record this, we are one day away from blood and guts on Dynamite. Yeah. And that is going to be a big show for AEW because yeah. of they're doing another one of these big special effects type shows and honestly they i don't think they can mess this they can't afford to mess it up like they did with the death match between uh omega and moxley with the sparklers going off yeah like they have the way they've been promoting this match uh they have to deliver uh there was an absolutely great uh, depending on when you're hearing this road to dynamite blood and guts that aew put up if you're on youtube and you are not subscribed to the all elite wrestling youtube channel you should be because it puts out some great content not only dark and dark elevation but all these road twos they do a, a great job of promoting what they have coming up, not just pay-per-views, but these special dynamites as well. Yeah, I do. I, I do. And we're going to talk a little bit about this actually in, in the whole creation of AEW episode, because again, one thing that pre AEW with the quote unquote elite uh, and, and, you know, and everything that they've done since AEW was founded and right up to this day, they use, social media to a level that we've rarely seen in sports, not just in, in sports entertainment, but in sports period. I mean, this, this company is founded on, you know, on accessible media. I mean, YouTube is free. Um, you know, the, the, the young bucks grew a massive following, you know, by doing what, what millions of content creators do, which is just making compelling videos for people to watch. And I do agree that, you know, that Blood and Guts is an important moment for them 
again, the distinction that you know that it's on TV as opposed to a pay per view that people are paying forty nine ninety nine for, I think buys them a little leeway compared to you know what happened with um, with Moxley and Omega, but. You know, I I do think that that the bar they've set the bar pretty high, and it's going to be really really interesting. Uh, you know, tomorrow night as we're recording this on Tuesday, um, how how they get there to clear it. But hey, that's what's happening tomorrow. But before we get into this week's episode, we would be doing everyone a ju- uh, disservice if we didn't talk about this week's dark matches. Thank you very much, Snaggle. Uh, we'll start off with uh, some COVID-19 wrestling news. Uh, six wrestlers were removed from Tuesday's NJPW Wrestling Donkantu card uh, due to COVID-19 protocols. Kazucha Okada, Minoru Suzuki, El Desperado, uh, Kanemaru, Sho, and Yo were all removed from the card. New Japan Pro Wrestling wrote on their website that several matches had to be changed including the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match between El Desperado and Yo, which was removed from the card altogether. The other matches were mostly six-man matches that were changed to either regular uh, tag matches or combined for eight-man matches. Uh, The website had said that one wrestler that was scheduled to appear on the show had a fever and is currently undergoing a thorough examination including PCR and antibody testing. They said that one other wrestler who had been part of events since May 1st is also undergoing evaluation. Yeah, it's, you know, again, we've talked several times about uh, not necessarily New Japan and COVID-19, but New Japan and the the aggressive schedule that they've taken on, Uh, you know, coming, trying to, trying to get their business back on track. And this is, this is, on top of all of the injuries that they've had as of late, this is a big shot to them. Uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, that this is not going to be a long-term company-wide thing. I hope, you know, that they've kind of, you know, caught sort of some things here early enough in the process that the integrity of the roster will be kept intact. But this is... This is the reality of the world that we live in right now. And you're seeing this across so many different sports right now. I mean, baseball is going through it. The NHL went through it. Football went through it. Basketball. Uh, wrestling is no different. I mean, we've seen it happen in NXT. and You know, it is it is scary. And it, it, again, when you look at New Japan, the aggressive schedule, the injuries that they've had, this is unfortunately just another blow to NJPW trying to get their, their business back on track. Uh, coming up, they have, I believe, two baseball stadium shows and a Tokyo Dome show. Um, that show already kind of a bit in limbo because of a uh, lockdown rules in Tokyo. Um, they're only going to be allowed 5,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. And that's a big building when it's full. So we'll see what happens to that. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring is a show that I know Snaggle and I, we both enjoy. Uh, It's back for its next season, and it debuts with a two-hour Brian Pillman episode. They've also announced all 13 episodes for this year. Uh, They're going to go weekly uh, for about six or seven weeks in May and June, then take a couple of months for a break 
come back in the late summer for the rest of the season. After Pillman, they are doing Nick Gage. The Collision in Korea, which was two shows WCW and New Japan did in 1995 in North Korea, promoted by Antonio Inoki. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior, Grizzly Smith, including talking about his three wrestling kids, Jake Roberts, Rockin' Robin Smith, and Sam Houston. Uh, the Dynamite Kid, Johnny Canine, the WWE Steroid Trial in 94, FMW from Japan, the WWE Plane Ride from Hell, Luna Vachon, XPW, and Chris Canyon, Chris Jericho, returns as the narrator for the season. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I think, uh, again, they've got some uh, some great topics lined up. I know they've dropped a couple of trailers and some clips from the Brian Pillman episode. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I, I'm going to go off script for one second because in the same vein as this, I don't know if you've caught any of the new uh, WWE content that has been on the A&E network. Um yeah, so, I haven't seen, I've watched everything up until this past week. I haven't seen the yeah. Macho Man or, or I haven't seen the Macho Man one. So, the, yeah, so I was a little skeptical of A&E getting into the wrestling game. Um, I, I, I was a little worried at first it was going to be this kind of gimmicky sort of just another way for WWE to, to, to pump out content. But I've actually, the, the, I've seen the three biographies they've done so far. Uh, Austin, Macho Man, Roddy Piper. They were all amazingly well done. Um, if I had to critique it, I would say that the Macho Man one, I think, was painted in a much more negative light about him than the Piper and Austin ones were. Obviously, you can't really paint Austin in a negative light too much by comparison, but um, they were all, all three of them were very good. And the Hidden Treasure show is actually an enjoyable watch. Um, so again, you know, with the dark side of the ring, obviously if you've never seen dark side of the ring before, I absolutely recommend it. Uh, also again, the A and E, uh, WWE stuff. I recommend that as well. I know in Canada it's available through A and E on demand service, uh, through Rogers. I think it's available through bell as well through their on demand service. Um, so lots of great non mainstream wrestling content available right now for sure. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring is on Crave, uh, as well as Crave On Demand in Canada. So you can uh, check those out. I think what's going to be very interesting is that the Dark Side of the Ring and the Ultimate Warrior episode of Biography, I think, are coming out the same week. So it may be interesting to compare and contrast yeah. how those two kind of match up. Um, I expect... Dark Side of the Ring to be a little more on Warriors, sometimes controversial outside of the ring yeah. speeches and things like that, where biography may stick a little bit more to yeah. the always believe uh, WWE side of things. Yeah, well, and the and the A and E stuff is still very WWE involved, right? I mean, you know, Vince has been in all three biography episodes on camera. Uh, you know, there's been like WWE has been very cooperative in facilitating the A&E wrestling content. And I'm sure that facilitation comes with, you know, being able to dictate certain terms. 
and certain things that we're not going to talk about. For example, in the, well, spoiler alert, you know, maybe, but in the Roddy Piper episode, there is absolutely no reference to the blackface event. Whereas if that was a dark side of the ring thing, they probably would have spent 20 minutes talking about it and the implications of it. So again, that's kind of, you know, where you have that disconnect. And I do agree, it's going to be very interesting to see when you have similar topics in a similar time frame from one to the other, what the stark differences are going to be. And I concur with, with your thoughts on that 100%. Those are this week's dark matches. If major wrestling news breaks, then uh, we will uh, put up. I know it hasn't happened in a while, but uh, I'm going to get back up on that. We'll do a uh, rewind rebound uh, on that as yeah. well. You know what? Let's just let's just go all in with the wrestling content. Let's start three other podcasts, a YouTube channel, a Patreon. Let's just become wrestling commentators as a full time thing. Well, I don't know about that because I don't have time to start start a mortgage business. That is true. I, I well, again, you know, speaking of the mortgage business, uh, today Conrad <laughs> introduced yet another quote unquote legend to his podcast stable as the Jeff Jarrett uh, podcast launched earlier today. I did not have the opportunity to listen to it uh, because I value my life um, <laughs> and I'm not a huge Jeff Jarrett fan. I might give it a list, but yeah, Conrad just keeps on building a podcast empire. And maybe, maybe one day if we work hard and say our prayers and take our vitamins and train, we could be as successful as Conrad Thompson. Don't forget to believe in yourself. That's right. So, dark matches out of the way. Let's talk about why we're here. We're talking about the creation and everything that went in to AEW, starting as in the build-up to All In. If you've never, first of all, right off the bat, All In is mandatory viewing for this episode. If you have never watched the All In pay-per-view, I definitely recommend you pause the podcast, you go watch All In. And then you come back because all in, and we're going to talk a lot about it, but all in it's a mandatory viewing for this episode and B just an amazing show uh, at, at an amazing time. Um, yeah. It, it, this, this whole, I, I'm just, I'm the thought of these two episodes of the podcast have me so excited because I am such an, a fan of AEW. I've loved everything they've done pretty much so far and you know even though we're only talking like four years ago it feels like it was ages ago oh not not even that really september 1st 2018 from the sears center in chicago yeah uh 11,263 that number makes a difference because it all started from a bet uh, a fan asked Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer on Twitter if Ring uh, if Ring of Honor could sell ten thousand tickets, and Meltzer responded, "Not anytime soon." Cody took Meltzer's remark as a challenge and said, "I'll take that bet." Eventually, the idea evolved from a Ring of Honor show to a self-funded event with ROH sanctioning it. Promoted by Cody and the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. It was later announced that Kenny Omega, Brandy Rhodes, and actor Stephen Amell would be participating in the event. It's, 
Could you imagine looking back to four years ago and being like AEW started as a bet that Dave Meltzer answering a fan, a, a reader, a listener of his content and literally just like saying, no, I don't think Ring of Honor could sell 10,000 seats in a show. And Cody being like, okay, bet. Well, and let's let's like, look at like, where Cody was. Yeah, let's look at where Cody was at this time. Cody was gone from WWE. He was in Ring of Honor. But Ring of Honor is not, especially at that time, was not necessarily high profile. Um, Cody was in the Bullet Club in Japan along with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Um, so New Japan was involved in this as well. Like, this was not a bunch of... This was not Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, or in this term, CM Punk, uh, Batista. These were not big-name guys saying, I'm going to put together a, a promotion brother. Yeah. So, for them to say... We'll sell, I'll, I'll guarantee I'll sell 10,000 tickets. For the, Cody to say that, it was a lot of chutzpah on his part by that point. Yeah, I feel like, you know, like Cody might be, like I'm trying to think in my head of guys who left WWE and didn't immediately go to a top flight competitor. So like W, like, like going to WCW doesn't really count. The two guys that immediately come to mind that made the most out of their post-WWE careers, Cody and Drew McIntyre. Yeah, definitely. Like, again, you know, you get to this point with Cody where, you know, it didn't work out in WWE for, for a variety of reasons. You know, the, the Stardust gimmick wasn't working. He wasn't happy. You could tell he wasn't happy on TV. He, you know, and, and then he just he goes out and he takes on this American nightmare persona, becomes a major success in Japan, major part of, of the Bullet Club. You know, he he goes on and you know does some some good things with Ring of Honor, and he he's just been so successful outside of the WWE umbrella. Again, now. A lot of people, if, if you're not like indie cultured, uh, in air quotes, you might think, well, it took Drew McIntyre coming back to the WWE to be successful. That is completely false. Yeah. <laughs> Drew McIntyre was ridiculously successful on the independents. He was, obviously, he was massive in the UK. Uh, you know, he was massive in, in, uh, in, well, I think, was it still TNA at the time? Or I think it, it was. I, no, I think it was Impact by that point. Like again, it didn't take Drew McIntyre coming back. Drew McIntyre came back to the WWE because they begged him to come back because of how successful he made himself. Those two guys are like the, to me, the prime examples of getting away from WWE as the best thing to ever happen to them. And you know what? Like. You know, a lot of people look at Cody and they say, listen, you know, he he only get, has, is successful because he's a Rhodes. And, you know, again, like, be that as it may. I mean, 
the one thing he's always done is when he says we're going to do this, you can almost take it to the bank that it's going to happen. And yes, everybody was like, there's no way in hell a Ring of Honor show is going to fill or sell 10,000 tickets. Absolutely not going to happen. But then when you start looking at all the things we're going to go through that, that happened after that, this, this was a meticulously well thought out bet that they executed pretty much flawlessly. To say that Cody, Cody started on second base. But I don't begrudge him then. And I don't begrudge any other second or third generation star from that as well. Because that's, it's just the way it is. These, the guys running the company knew Dusty. Everybody loved Dusty Rhodes. Everybody, like, Everybody loved having Dusty around. Dusty's kids were always going to get a shot. But it, Dusty, or sorry, Dustin and Cody both had to pick up the ball and run with it. He got them to second base, but they made it the rest of the way. Nobody can say that Dustin has not had a successful career. I am very close to saying that he is better now than he was when he was gold dust. Wow. Yeah. I just but really, I feel like he's more comfortable now. Yeah. At 50 years old, 51 years old. Again, it's, I agree hundred percent. It doesn't matter what generation of superstar you are. The, the, the effort has to be there. Charlotte the rock, gets... the rock, the rock was almost a failure. It wasn't like again, second generation guy had the look, but like the crowd hated him, hated the rock, mm -hmm. and he and Vince made it work. They turned it into this whole thing. They turned him into a heel. It worked. The rock Charlotte is now did... the rock. The rock is now one of the top superstars in the history of wrestling. Exactly, you know, and Charlotte gets painted with the same brush, but, and I feel that I'm not a Charlotte fan by any stretch of the imagination. No, me neither. But she's very talented. She's a great, the thing is to me. I'm not sure I understand. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand either Siri, but like Siri's a big Charlotte fan, so she doesn't understand Apparently. our dislike of Charlotte, and I get that. And I'm not editing that out. We're leaving no, that don't. in. No, we're, don't. We're leaving that in, for sure. Yeah. Because Siri is a is a Charlotte Mark, but Obviously. Here, my biggest thing with Charlotte, right, is like the in order to be second generation, you still have to be unique. Like Charlotte as a mega heel is amazing because you want to dislike her. It's like it's the same reason why Roman Reigns is more successful now. Than he has ever been because they finally realized, yes, he's a hateable character. So let's give people a reason to hate him. They're giving us a reason to hate Charlotte. And, you know, the reason, like when, when Dustin started, he was just this white meat baby face, you know, son of Dusty Rhodes. 
And it was boring as hell. He was the natural. Yeah. And, you know, he came to, to WWE and got, got saddled with the gold dust thing, which, to be fair, he made last for two decades. But, like, now you're seeing this side of him where he's just allowed to be himself. And even at 51 years old, he still goes out there and still has great matches and, you know, is still producing at a high level, doesn't look anywhere near 51 years old. And again, Cody kind of falls into that thing. He didn't fit the mold that WWE wanted him to fit. The legacy stuff was cool because, you know, you connected him and DiBiase and Orton, you know, because again, all all multi-generational talents, like that was kind of neat. But again, you could tell he just wasn't comfortable with it. And it took him leaving WWE, going out on his own, to, to to realize that not that he was the son of Dusty Rhodes, but that he was Cody Rhodes. And this is who Cody Rhodes is. And, you know, people give him crap now because, you know, he comes out to the same big entrance on Dynamite like he's the cock of the walk. But you know what? Again, that that's the character that he is. That's what works for him. That's what got him... You know, from being a, a a released WWE talent to one of the top guys in the second biggest wrestling promotion in the world, or third, I suppose. New Japan's probably second still, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah is, exactly. Is you know, again, there was always a Rhodes in there. It just took a long time for that Rhodes to come out. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, when he started at WWE, he was a he was a young kid who never mind in the wrestling business, just as a person, he had no he wouldn't have had any idea who he actually was. So he was growing into that thing. I mean, I don't remember how he was I want to say he was younger than 25. And Honestly, and saying this as somebody who's now 42 years old, I, I'm going to be the old man shaking my fist in the air saying, but honestly, you, you really don't know who you, what you are going to be uh, later on in life when you're that age. Yeah. Oh, no, it, it's a hundred percent. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. There's so many different ways it can go. But we're getting way off the track here. Oh, sure. we are, but this is great. I love it. Oh, I know. So um, I mentioned earlier. Okay, you go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say is that if it was just being a second-generation superstar, David Flair would be a 17-time world champion right now. Yeah. So that you got to have more than that family name. 100%. So I mentioned earlier in the, in the dark matches talking about uh, the elite and their use of social media. So from May when this happens throughout the rest of 2017, constant mentions on being the elite and teases that that the Bucks and Cody were working on something as their show starts to grow exponentially in popularity. Uh, you know, they go from getting hundreds of thousands of views every week to a lot of their episodes start breaking over the 
million view barrier within a few days of release. Um, again, I, you know, I mentioned like their their YouTube has been an amazingly successful um, part of their show. You know, they have half a million subscribers on the BTE YouTube channel. Uh, they have produced 254 episodes of Being the Elite, which is just insane. But again, you start seeing them making mentions of, um, you know, doing a show and, and where the show might be and where the show is going to be and weaving that into, you know, what they're, what, what they're doing, um, you know, as in terms of making this event happen. Well, Finally, does, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say starting on uh, December 31st, of 2017 they begin to announce on being the elite that they're looking at different venues to hold this so 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 long unnamed event uh it was later reported by pro wrestling insider that the event was set to be held in chicago and then about a week later it was announced the event would take place on september 1st which i believe that year was the labor day weekend yeah, I believe that's right. I believe you're right on that one. Uh, on March 5th, they revealed that it would be the Sears Center, located in the Chicago suburb of Hoffman Estates, Illinois. And over the next coming weeks, independent wrestlers announced they will be taking part in the show, including Penta El Zero, Ray Phoenix, Kazuchika Okada, Deanna Perrazzo was announced, but would be removed after signing with WWE. Tessa Blanchard, Jay Lethal, Chelsea Green, Marty Skrull, and Hangman Page. Because at this point, Hangman was not a member of the Elite. Oh, that's right. He was still kind of doing his own thing. And just with that list of, of, of guys that you named, you could tell this was going to be a ridiculously serious event. I mean, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Penta and Ray Phoenix, who at that point were huge names south of the border. Uh, obviously, Okada doesn't need a resume read to know what he is to wrestling in Japan. Uh, you know, Tessa Blanchard has, has, has long been thought to be one of the best female wrestlers in the world. Jay Lethal, who at the time was, you know, pretty much the top or close to the top of the pecking order in Ring of Honor. Uh, you know, you had Marty Skrull, who was kind of on again, off again with the elite, but again, a great talent. Like, again, you know, when they start dropping names of this event and who's going to be on it, you could tell they were on to something special from a very, very early part of, of the planning. Uh, it was also announced, and I think this is a big deal when it comes to All In, is the packaging of it with the before mentioned uh, Conrad Thompson as he would hold the first Starcast, a fan convention that featured numerous, numerous wrestlers and podcast personalities, including Jeff Jarrett, Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, Diamond Dallas Page, and Macaulay Culkin. Believe it or not. Um, this was built around Conrad's podcast empire to start yeah. with. And 
the ability to make that a weekend instead of just a Sunday night or Saturday night show mm-hmm. was a big deal because then it gave people a reason to tr- more people a reason to travel in for the show. Yeah, you're you're making it a destination event as opposed to and again, whenever you have more things to do, you widen the circle of people who might be interested. People like like again, people might not want to go to Chicago for one night of wrestling, but hey, you can go to this Starcast event and you can see Jarrett and Bischoff and Pritchard and DDP and and everybody else who who was announced and all the great panels and Q&As and uh, memorabilia displays and stuff they had. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, you're you're definitely going to widen the circle of people who would be interested. Um and obviously it worked because there's been like four Starcasts because they did one at at every event that they've had since at least the major ones, obviously, you know, in the COVID times, StarCast has become a thing of the past for obvious reasons. But yeah, I mean, it was such a great idea. Um, it was it, 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 it these two things went together like peanut butter and jelly. I bought the through Fight TV. I bought, I think it was StarCast three. Yep, t- uh, and got. When they you buy one of them, they had a deal where you just got yep. the back catalog. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made my way through a lot of the things I was interested in. There is a lot of just great sit downs. There's not a it's not a big production value. It's four or five guys sitting around with microphones, but it sounds great and it's very interesting to listen to. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think again, right? You know, it's it's an extension of what Conrad has done with his podcast. The reason why people like me and in my age group enjoy Conrad's podcast so much is because we get to relive things that we experienced during the height of our wrestling fandom with a different lens. Maybe it was a pay per view that we didn't, you know particularly have fond memories of that you get to hear more about the backstage rumblings of it. Again, I personally, at this point in my life, not a huge Jim Ross fan, but his podcast is always so interesting because you're, you're hearing him talk about some of the biggest, brightest moments in wrestling history through a different lens. And that's exactly what, you know, the star cast brought to the table was you have these guys who are now in an unedited, unfiltered, Room full of people, you know, answering questions, talking about, you know, this and that, you know, Eric Bischoff talking about WCW related things, Bruce Pritchard talking about the intimate knowledge he has of the the WWE, WWF, you know, back room, Um, you know, DDP is always a, always a great storyteller. I find anytime he's ever to get around a live microphone. So he just took what was working for him in the podcast world and made it into an event. Uh, and it was just, it was, it was, again, this was a great partnership and, and it worked so well because it just, it increases the, the marketability of the weekend as a whole. During the all in press conference, uh, that happened on May 13th, it was announced that Ray Mysterio and the NWA world heavyweight champion, Nick Aldis would also be taking part in the event. Ray Mysterio was not contracted to WWE at that time. Uh, and the NWA was is at that time owned by Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins. 
And I'm C.D. Lawrence, Chris Doyle, smiling politely. Those of you that know, know. <laughs> uh, I just, I just gonna sit here and, and laugh. You're just gonna let that go. I am. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave it go. Yep. Okay. I'm, not even, I'm not even gonna get involved. Okay. Tickets for the show were put on sale on May 13th. Sold out in less than 30 minutes. Despite Cody and the Young Bucks announcing only one match for the show. In the months leading up to the event, All In announced more wrestlers taking part, including Maxwell Jacob Friedman, Madison Rain, Kota Ibushi, SoCal Uncensored of Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky, uh, the best friends of Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta, and the Briscoe brothers, Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe. We went over kind of the last group of that. Uh, was announced what's your feelings on this group because this group is really not headline names at the time and some of them now are blowing sky high yeah i think you know scu was kind of expected because again scu had sort of been running the same circuits as the elite and that they had made several appearances on um on the being the elite show and that's kind of Again, this is the era where where BTE was mandatory watching because as they traveled around the world and they would get different talents on the the show, you thought, well, geez, are they going to be at all in now? Like because again, you, you kind of saw that this this train was sort of moving forward, and every week it would seem like, oh, well, they're at this this Ring of Honor event in New York, and oh, here's you know, person X, are they going to be at all in now? And, and I think with this second group, you start to see guys that were, you know, on the larger scale were relatively unknown. I mean, a lot of people knew who, who Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian were. But, like, you know, like, I didn't know who the best friends were. I didn't know who MJF was. Uh, I knew who Madison Rain was, obviously. Kota Ibushi I knew of a little bit. Um, I had heard of the Briscoe brothers. But I think at that point, you start looking at it from the standpoint of, I I've maybe heard of these guys or maybe have seen them mentioned once or twice. But now you're pulling them into this sphere with sort of the upper class indie talent. And you're like, okay, I, I, you know, you're starting to see how they're going to construct a pay-per-view and start really, you know, giving the crowd a chance to see a different swath of talent from all over the world all different you know popularity levels and it was just it, again it was it was really exciting to see you know as we progressed through mid 2018 towards this event the different names that they start bringing up uh kota ibushi at that time had just reunited with kenny omega uh, as their former team called the Golden Lovers. Um, best friends were big in New Japan at that time. They had done some tours. Um, so they had all kind of been in the same areas. So it made sense. Like, I wasn't surprised when I heard that Kota Ibushi was going to be on the show. Um uh, I was a little surprised about best friends simply because I didn't think they had enough name value at yeah. the time. Um, 
But I was like, oh, I like that. You know, they're going to get the hug shot in and this, the camera will zoom out and everybody will get a kick out of it. Um, and one of the reasons that would happen would be because of the broadcast crew uh, that uh, was going to be part of this event. Uh, a, there's a lot of broadcasters on this show. Yes. Uh, Alicia Atut. I don't think I'm saying that right. Uh, Bobby Cruz, Don Callis, Excalibur, Ian Riccoboni, Justin Roberts, and Sean Mooney uh, were on the All In broadcasting team. We found out leading up to the event uh, as part of another YouTube series called uh, All Us. Uh, am Brett Turner. Am, am I the only person who, whenever I hear Sean Mooney, I immediately think of Sean Morley? Every once in a while, I'll kind of go, oh, no, Mooney, the... the yeah, because oh, yeah. you, you say Sean Mooney, and I have to catch myself from not going, hello, ladies. Because I'm but, like, no, that's Sean Mooney, the commentator, yeah. not Sean Morley, the wrestler. Yeah, but like, just look at the... like Ian Riccoboni was the vo is the voice of Ring of Honor. Justin Roberts, former WWE ring announcer. Excalibur is the one that kind of sticks out here at this time because he's never been seen on a national stage, but he was, uh, he's, is slash was a, a former wrestler who was one of the owners of pro wrestling gorilla where the Bucks and Cody and best friends and a lot of those guys all kind of met and, began their friendships so he kind of stuck out as kind of oh a play by play, play guy with the mask i don't really get it but he as shown on dynamite he is amazing at the job yeah he's 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 the future of commentating and wrestling he really is i mean he's the present but i think you know, as as Jim Ross and Michael Cole and and those those sort of main players, uh, Tony Schiavone, as they sort of inch closer to retirement, um, ten years from now, when those guys are gone, Excalibur is going to be the guy everybody looks at as the 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 cream of the crop in in wrestling commentary. Um, he's amazingly knowledgeable. I think he balances out the dynamite play by play very well. I think he and Tony Schiavone have a very good rapport with one another um, and a very good uh, kind of cadence with one another. Like, I think Excalibur is really good at knowing when to jump in, when not to jump in, and I, and it works really well. I've been super impressed with him since the very first day. Um, and I think, you know, th this was a really big opportunity for him. I think he did a great job with it, and obviously the rest of it, is is sort of history have you ever watched dark i watch dark probably every other week i have taken to calling dark the excalibur and taz stand-up hour with wrestling in the background yeah because those two guys have so much fun taz doesn't think anybody watches dark yeah. so he's just cutting loose and is completely different than his dynamite manager team taz character in doing commentary for dark but some of the things that they go on about 
are amazing and you forget that there's a wrestling match going on, which may not be great, but is hilarious. It's nice to see Taz having fun being on a wrestling show. Because there seemed to be a long period of time where Taz was very bitter with the wrestling industry. And, you know, it's nice to see him sort of get a new life on TV. And, you know, you're right. His, you know, Team Taz persona is much different than his commentary persona. But it's really nice to see Taz having fun and, and, and being a fun character on a wrestling show because I really did enjoy Taz when he was a commentator in WWE. I thought he, he again, he, he and JR worked very well together. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, again, I feel like that was something I wanted to see more of. And I'm glad we get to see that on dark now, even though it, it does borderline on silly sometimes. Um, but it, it is good to see Taz having fun with wrestling again. Uh, Bandito was announced for the show on Je- on July 25th, and then they kind of took almost like two weeks off without any news. And then it was announced that All In would be broadcast on pay-per-view and Fight TV with an hour-long pre-show called Zero Hour, airing on WGN America. Uh, WGN America is one of the super stations that uh, I know those of us here in Canada... We get it because it's one of those. It's basically known, I think, for Cubs games. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever watched anything on it other than Zero Hour and maybe tripped over it for a Cubs game once or twice. Yeah. This was huge. Uh, being able to, to have it on pay-per-view, I think once they we started getting in the lead-up here, I think it was, it was really a matter of when, not if, that they were going to announce that it was going to be on some sort of pay-per-view service. Obviously, I think, um, you know, Fight TV has been an integral part of every step of the way of the pre-AEW lifespan and since AEW's inception. Um, but this was huge to be able to to have this on a pay-per-view for sure. Uh, later that day, it was announced that the event's main card would also be broadcast on Ring of Honor streaming service Honor Club, it was also announced that Jordine Grace, Moose, Rocky Romero, Colt Cabana, and Ethan Page were announced for the show. Uh, and then later on uh, the next week, Brian Cage, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Jacobs, and Marco Stunt uh, were announced, along with Brandon Cutler and Punishment Martinez. Uh, now known as the name is escaping me, Archer of Infamy, used to be on NXT, is now on uh, uh, Damian Priest. Damian Priest. Yeah, he's now Damian Priest. Uh, Punishment Martinez was he was a big name in ROH at that time. Uh, also, uh, as we're talking about broadcasting for All In uh, on August 29th, it was announced that it would be available for on-demand viewing on NJPW World, New Japan Pro Wrestling's streaming platform. Uh, It wasn't there live, but it was going to be there for on-demand later on. And uh, on the 31st of August, the son of a gun, Austin Gunn, was announced for the show. And, I mean, you can't forget, listen, we keep the announcements going because, hey, a couple days later, actually the next day, they announced that Tim Storm 
who was uh, in at that point in time uh, was kind of in the he was at the, the tippity top of NWA at that time. Yeah, he was just coming off uh, a run with uh, Nick Aldis, I believe. Yeah, yeah he, he, he and Aldis wrestled through the end of 2017. Um, and, you know, he kind of went on to do some other stuff, but he was sort of integral in helping uh, helping NWA sort of get back on the map. twenty Because 2017, uh, especially the second half of it, was kind of sort of the 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 rebirth of of nwa and they've got undergone a couple of those because in 2019 is when they launched the the uh the youtube show which on the debut episode of it tim storm wrestled for the world championship against nick aldis who i feel like has been the nwa champion now forever um but yeah so we kind of get to the point where we're announcing these literally every day in the lead up to to the event um but we're sort of getting towards the point where uh we had a we had a card but uh you know there's still some silliness left to go in planning i was uh, just about to say we're gonna (laughs) let's okay we're gonna get into the silly stuff yeah just feel free (sighs) okay i think i can make it through this Joey Ryan was, and can we put in quotation marks, kayfabe, killed on being the elite by a mystery assailant in a Japanese hotel room on June 4th, on being the elite, Japanese police arrested Aerostar Stephen Amell for Ryan's murder. Uh, it was revealed later on that Christopher Daniels had framed Amel for the murder and that on August 6th, again, being the elite, it had been announced that Amel, who had recently been released from prison, would face Daniels at all in. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to kind of spoil the show a little bit. Because I did not remember any of this when I watched this show this past week. Oh, see, I I vividly remember the Joey Ryan angle on BTE. With the simple reason being Joey Ryan being an extremely controversial wrestling character as it is. This was kind of like... like 2018 pre all in was sort of the height of people's hatred of Joey Ryan as a wrestling character. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's his whole persona is, is based around his junk essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And then he gets killed on BT. And again, I get, I like the fact that, you know, they're using their platform to build the show, right? Because that's the platform that they have. They don't have a promotion. They don't have weekly TV. They have BTE. And they use BTE effectively week in, week out to sort of keep these storylines alive. And, you know, they'd go a couple weeks. You wouldn't hear anything about Joey Ryan's murder, killed, whatever. And then all of a sudden, again, like, again, it happens April 10th. Then in June, you know, 
Stephen Amell gets arrested in July, reveals that he's framed him in August. You know, they they, they sort of keep it going. Okay, but, I, I'm going to work my way down the notes yeah, a little. Yeah, bit. let's 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 keep trying to get through this. So on July 23rd, it was announced that Joey Janela would face Hangman Page at All In. Later that day on Twitter, Page would send a warning to Janela and proclaim himself a Joey killer. <laughs> on August 12th, on being the elite, Page had a nightmare with his cowboy boots telling him that he would kill another Joey. <laughs> Referring to Joey Janela. Janela and Paige get into it during a, a autograph oh, session, God. and it was then announced that their match at All In would be a Chicago street fight. So we have the penis wrestler being killed. Yeah. We have a bona fide television star being mock arrested by Japanese police. Yeah. We have one of the wrestlers saying they framed the actor. And then we have one of the stars of this show having a nightmare about his cowboy boots talking to him, telling him that he had killed a Joey and is ready to kill another one. Like, Joey Janela should be glad his name wasn't Steven, because if it was, he may not have gotten on this show. Yeah, maybe. I, I think you're probably right there. This angle was, listen, this angle was weird. I mean, again, you know, there's a certain element of, you know, because you're doing all of your promotion through a YouTube show, Obviously, you're going to ratchet up the, the weirdness level. It gets people talking. Again, the Joey Ryan angle had people talking on social media. It was stupid as hell, but it was effective in promoting the show. And we and, haven't and even... that's ridiculous. And we haven't even talked about the most ridiculous part of this angle yet. Yeah, no, we haven't got there. We haven't got to the part of this that even made myself a professional wrestling fan for over 30 years go, yeah. boy, yeah. I'm glad I didn't watch this with somebody else who wasn't a fan. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. But again, it was it was effective at what they were trying to do. So let's move on into something else. Uh, that includes... The NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, it was announced that Nick Aldis would defend against Cody, who, if he were to win, would become the first father-son duo to win NWA World Heavyweight Championships during Ring of Honor's Honor United Tour in London on May 27th. It was announced that if Cody was able to reclaim the Ring of Honor World Championship before All In, that the match would become winner-takes-all for both the NWA and ROH World Championships. He failed to do that, uh, despite Aldis trying to help him win that match. Uh, he had another shot. It didn't work out well for him. The match, now solely for the NWA title, was officially sanctioned by NWA management on July 31st, and it was announced that Tim Storm would be in Aldis's corner for the match. 
nice little nice little angle here. I think, you know, again, this was this was a good use of of Nick Aldis. It got the NWA on the show with their title, the Ten Pounds of Gold. Uh, so it, you know, it kind of checked a lot of those cross promotional boxes. Um, yeah, I, I think it was the build. The build of it was 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 really good. On June 8th at a WrestlePro event, Madison Rain and Maxwell Jacob Friedman defeated Brandy Rhodes and Flip Gordon to qualify for All In on the August 7th episode of All Us, a four-quarters match between Rain, Dr. Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Tessa Blanchard was announced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's... yeah. It's a Flip Gordon is... No, all of this. I mean, Flip... Flip was a very key character on BTE um, in the in the lead up to this, and, and always highly entertaining when he was on the show. Um, you know, again, th- th- we we do get into the weeds a little bit here on them trying to build what eventually was an eleven match event. Um, so you're try you're you're still trying to make. Um, what would likely be filler matches seem important. Um, but some of this stuff, I feel like, again, you know, I think all four of these performers are great, but I also feel like they 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 almost oversold their involvement with the show to the point where, like, they wanted us to care way more than we probably should. Well, and that being said, uh, what we will do, because I think you're right, we are kind of getting a lot into the weeds on this. We've kind of launched around what All In was going to be. So where we stand right now, let's say it's the weekend of All In. Are you interested in this card? Oh, absolutely, 100%. I think, you know, when you look at how well they built this, how diverse the level of talent was going to be on this show. You know, you have you have guys like Rey Mysterio, uh, you know, former WWE guys. You have guys that have been around for a long time, like Christopher Daniels. You have guys that you've only really ever heard of. Uh, again, a lot of people didn't know who Kenny Omega was and had never seen a Kenny Omega match. A lot of people didn't know who Okada was and had never seen an Okada match. And they're two of the greatest performers of our generation. And again, a lot of people who were just not in tune with the Japanese product had never seen a lot of these guys perform. And, you know, there's a lot of people on this card that I had never seen or that I had seen very sparingly. I was very, very excited to, 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 to go into this. And again, you know, it's easy to look back on what we know now and what's happened in the landscape of wrestling. But taking this for what it was at the time, a one-off trying to sell 10,000 tickets, I was over the moon excited for something different in wrestling. Well, let's get to it. Let's start with Zero Hour. Two matches on the pre-show. Uh, first one was SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. They defeated the Briscoe brothers of Jay and Mark Briscoe 
in uh, 12 minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, I haven't seen that wasn't part of the uh, way I watched this show. Uh, I can't imagine it being a bad match. Um, if you haven't seen the Briscoe brothers, uh, they are very entertaining. Um, they're much, they're, they're a brawling kind of tag team. Uh, they both hold held singles championships in ring of honor. They are homegrown ring of honor guys. And I don't see them ever going anywhere else at this point. Yeah, this was a, uh, a, a decent match. I think considering that the styles of these two teams were, were, were very polarizing, I think they did a really good job. Um, if I make a quick reference to Mr. Meltzer's uh, match ratings, three and three quarter stars. So, you know, very good. A lot of people paint Meltzer as a homer for these more indie-based shows. But again, I, I do think that you could see at certain points of the match that the style, they were really trying hard to intermingle the different styles. But again, I thought this was... Uh, a good, not great match, but I thought it was an excellent pre-show match um, for anybody who was watching and who was thinking about buying the card, which is what a lot of these pre-shows are geared towards. Um, for, for a pre-show match, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, the other match on the, the pre-show was the 19-person over-budget battle royal to determine who would get the uh, ROH World Championship match later that night. Uh, under the mask of Chico El Luchador, uh, Flip Gordon wins by last eliminating Bully Ray in 17 minutes and 6 seconds. Uh, others in that battle royal include Moose from TNA, Brandon Cutler, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, Rocky Romero, Cheeseburger, The Hurricane, Ethan Page, Tommy Dreamer, Jimmy Jacobs, Punishment Martinez, Austin and Billy Gunn, Marco Stunt, Brian Cage, Jordian Grace, Colt Cabana, and as we said earlier, Bully Ray. Yeah. Um, classic pre-show Battle Royal. I thought it was fun. Uh, I liked the whole, again, I, I, I think the whole, you know, Flip Gordon stuff was fun. Uh, again, just another good use of time on the pre-show. I mean, 17 minutes doesn't seem like a lot for a battle royal, uh, but I think they did a great job. It was effective. It told a story, which a lot of battle royals never, ever do. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. And a lot of guys in here that you would go on and still see later on in the fully formed AEW and some guys you'd never seen again, like, uh, Cheeseburger is still in Ring of Honor. Uh, he's got a new gimmick now. Uh, there was another one here. Oh, well, uh, Flip. Flip has disappeared off the edge of the earth, which is kind of ironic, seeing as he is a flat earther. Uh, but he's gone. We have no idea whatever happened to Flip Gordon. And yep. so, but it was, uh, I do remember seeing that match, and it was a very, uh, it was a very interesting fun battle royal we start the actual pay-per-view off with matt cross defeating maxwell jacob friedman in nine minutes and 23 seconds matt cross a great veteran he was son of havoc on lucha underground uh so very talented uh and they these two put on a really good match and you could see 
just the this money falling off of Maxwell Jacob Friedman. This was the first time I realized that MJF was going to be a star in wrestling. Um, again, at the time, you didn't know where that would be, but you he just he had the persona of an ultimate heel. And again, it's hard to believe that, you know, we're sitting here almost three years later. MJF is still only 25 (laughs) and is likely one of the top five heels in wrestling right now. Oh, for sure. And is well on his way to being, you know, in that top one or two conversation at some point. I think he still has some areas he needs to work on. I think it's hard because AEW is so thick at the top right now. But, you know, like you said, this was his first real, you know, mainstream introduction. And you could tell he he was going to be just hated and he was going to print money. I think I agree with you being him being in the top five. I put him in the top half of that top five. I and, think I think it's I think right now Roman is the best heel in wrestling. I, I think I don't think you can really debate that right now. Um, I, I think you could make a case for MJF at number two. Um, I definitely think you could, like without sitting and putting really any thought into it. I do think you know he probably might be no lower than three. Um, again, I think it's hard because I think right now he's been tied to a faction for so long. And again, when, when, when you're the mouthpiece of five guys instead of the mouthpiece for yourself, I do feel like that diminishes his character a little bit from that super heel. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of where they go after this blood and guts thing. But yeah, I mean, he he's easily one of the best heels in wrestling, I, I, for sure. And and you could see that here. I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of this match. Uh, it, I, again, it was good. I don't think it was great. I think it was, you know, okay. I think both guys got their stuff in. Um, but I do think, again, this was a, a, a huge introduction for MJF on a, on a very big stage with a lot of people watching. Up next was uh, the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, uh, accompanied by the other members of SCU. He defeated Stephen Amell uh, in 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, listen, it was what it was. It was, a, it was a celebrity match, but Amell puts, he puts his working boots on. This has been his first singles match. He had done a WWE tag match. And then he had done some tag matches in ROH leading up to this show. So, I mean, he put his working boots on for this one. Yeah, this was a match. That was what I was going to say. This was a match. Uh, again, it it, 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 it it gave you a little bit of a payoff from the, from the story. Um, but it was just a match. It, it didn't blow me away. Um, it didn't, you know, set off any alarm bells or anything like that. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't fantastic. It was what it was. It was a match. It finished up a story, and we moved on with the rest of the night. Uh, Tess, next up, Tessa Blanchard defeated Dr. Britt Baker, Chelsea Green, and Madison Rain in 12 minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, I think this was a good match. I liked it. 
Tessa needs to get out of her own way to get a shot again. Mm-hmm. Um, she it seems to have burned a lot of bridges for somebody who wants to do this as a as a career. Um, like there's been rumors in the past week or so that uh, maybe she was coming into NXT. They had last week done a uh, preview for a group called diamond mine. And because Tessa is uses diamonds a lot in her presentation, they thought maybe it was for her. A WWE spokesman came right out and said, no, this has nothing to do with Tessa Blanchard. Um, asked some people asked around AEW tapings asking about if Tessa's coming in because it makes sense. Her father's there. And uh, apparently that was not taken very nicely for her to come into AEW. She has some very large baggage that she needs to get by in order to get through this. Yeah. And I mean, here's the thing, you know, that baggage weighs way more in 2021 than it would have 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, You know, again, we live in a world where, Things spread on social media like absolute wildfire. And again, you know, almost as quickly as these rumors come out that she's in talks with NXT, she's in talks with AEW. I mean, typically you don't see people associated with promotions shooting down rumors. But... WWE and AEW officials could not squash these rumors fast enough because they do not want to be associated with Tessa Blanchard right now. Impact made her their world champion. Not women's world champion. World World champion. champion. And she, according to the stories and the rumors, so, you know, uh, what's it? What is it that Conrad says? Says uh, rumors and innuendo. Rumors and innuendo state that she was stuck in Mexico. This was before COVID time. Was stuck in Mexico and wouldn't send in FaceTime promos that they could put on their show. Not couldn't, wouldn't. Yeah. So I mean, she's very talented but I think she may be believing her own press a little bit. The problem is at this point, and and again, there's so much additional eyeballs on everything everybody does now. Tessa Blanchard at this point is nuclear and nobody wants to touch her. Does that mean that she has no future in wrestling? No, obviously not. I mean, we're literally a month removed from Hulk Hogan being a host at WrestleMania. So there's a cooling down period for everything. And no, I'm not saying Tessa Blanchard is Hulk Hogan. What I'm saying is, yes, right now in uh, May 4th, 2021, she is very nuclear. Nobody wants to touch her. Is that going to be the case six months from now? Is that going to be the case a year from now? Will she stick with it and, and, and keep refining herself and her character and and hopes that you know things can blow over and she can sort of get back in the good graces of some of these companies again only time will tell but it is disappointing and sad that 
she is has been so self-destructive to the point where companies will go out of their way to disassociate themselves from rumors that they may be working with her. Uh, next up uh, for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, Cody picks up the win. Uh, he is accompanied by Brandy Rhodes, Diamond Dallas Page, Glacier, and Tommy Dreamer, defeating Nick Aldis, who has Jeff Jarrett, Samuel Shaw, Sean Devari, and Tim Storm. With him, this went 22 minutes and one second. Cody drops the belt back to Nick Aldis about a month later at the NWA anniversary show. Obviously, let's not forget the most important part of this match. Earl Hebner was the referee. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of guys that have been nuclear in the wrestling industry and then (laughs) turned it around, Earl Hebner was the referee of this match. So from this point on, this card is an absolute wildfire of matches. Every match from this one to the end was at least four stars with the exception of the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight title match, which was three and a half. So you get to this point, and this to me is where the the main show started. You kind of knew the writing was on the wall that Cody was going to win the world title. You know, that that they played up the whole he and Dusty being NWA champions so hard. And, and again, the optics of Cody standing in the ring with the 10 pounds of gold uh, is one that, that lasted. It was one of the more iconic shots from this event. Um, you know, I, I think it's great that, you know, they were able to work with the NWA, get all this to do a job. And obviously, you know, like you said, I'll just get the title back, you know, shortly there afterwards. I thought this was a great match. I thought it was was 20 plus minutes of great wrestling. Um, really showcased what both of these guys can do. Um, I don't want to say that this made Nick Aldis in any way, shape or form. But I do think it gave him a chance on a bigger stage than what he had been on. In recent months, kind of before this. And really sort of elevated the NWA world title for for this particular event. I thought it was great. I, I you know, I like the way it ended. I like the idea to to put the title on Cody and get that shot. Uh yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, do you remember I guess it would have been the winter after this, uh, that there was an NWA World's Heavyweight Championship match in Moncton? Uh yes. It was Nick Aldis and Marcus Burke. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I've, uh, I haven't, I've seen the match. I've seen tape of the match once and it was really good. Marcus Burke is a guy that was really good, is really good. I think a lot, you and I will have a chat about maritime wrestling someday. Oh yes. And, um, lo- there's a lot of clickish behavior in maritime wrestling, but Burke is one of the guys that actually has, I'm going to put has slash had because everything's been shut down for so long. I don't know who has, has what these days. Listen, what matters is not everybody can be Kurgan. Like, (laughs) you know, I saw him at target month and once. Nice. Yeah. I was like, uh, it was myself and, and, and my ex-wife now we were together looking through all and 
he goes walking by. I said, Sandy, that's Kurgan. And she turns to me and goes, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Seven feet tall, the Acadian giant, Kurgan. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how many other seven footers in red jogging pants I've seen around. But yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Next up, we've got Hangman Page <sighs> defeating Joey Janela in a Chicago street fight. Another See, match that... You days. said this, so I would have to talk about the aftermath, didn't you? I did, yes, I specifically took the the lead on this match, the Chicago street fight, so I didn't have to talk about what happened during the match. But Hangman Page, victorious, 20 minutes and 8 seconds over Joey Janela, who was accompanied to the ring by Penelope Ford. Break it down for me, CD. Okay. So, during the match, they bring out a couple of garbage bags. Uh, in one of the garbage bags is Hangman Page's talking cowboy boots. <sighs> Who he proceeds to sell for as they're on the mat. Hangman Page wins the match uh, with the buckshot lariat into the dead eye, I believe. And then the lights go out and spooky music comes over the PA. And there's smoke everywhere. And out come some druids. But I know what, when I say druids, I know what you're thinking, right? It's the guys in the black robes and things like that. No, no, no. They're guys in inflatable penis suits. And then Joey Ryan's music hits. And here comes Joey while Don Callis and Excalibur get in as many penis jokes as they can while Joey Ryan makes his way to the ring. <laughs> Joey and Paige are in the ring. Joey does the penis lock suplex thing on on hangman page and that's when i pretty much lost my will to continue watching this show this was the only down spot in this entire show for me <laughs> you didn't you didn't like the uh the massive penis references uh i'm not a big fan <laughs> of stupid humor like, well, I, listen, I'll tell you one thing. This was definitely stupid. Yeah, uh, and like, some people found it funny, I'm sure. I mean, again, this is... Uh, I hate that this happened. I like, hate that Hangman Page got this on him. It was, again, I, I get it, right? You're going for the ha-ha. You're going for the penis jokes. Like, okay, here we go. But, like, the Drew... Like, it's just so overdone. It was stupid. Um, in what was otherwise a fantastic wrestling card, I could have done without this just ever happening. And if, 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 back, if this if this card would exist without that match, I'd be it, it would still be an amazing card. Looking back, it's worse now than it was then. Oh yeah. Because Joey Ryan 
is one of the major. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for of the speaking out hashtag speaking out uh, campaign that happened through professional wrestling yeah. two summers ago or last, I guess it was last, last spring and last summer. Like uh, just one of the biggest, I can't even think of a word that would describe what happened, but it makes it makes it things like this worse that he got on this national stage to do this. And then a year and a half later is implicated in all these absolutely horrific situations. Yeah. It's completely stupid. And again, like, you know, it's, it's yeah. You talk about a guy being, being nuclear. Oh yeah. Joey Ryan is is just dead to to any big wrestling promotion. And again, to be fair, he was never, ever, ever going to get over with his penis being his gimmick. <laughs> like, that doesn't fly on cable television. That doesn't fly on the Peacock Network. Pardon the pun. <laughs> but, like, again, you know, how far are you really going to make it as a wrestler when your junk is the reason you exist? And, you know, again... I'm not a fan of it. I wasn't a fan of it. What I am a fan of is Jay Lethal. And that's our next match. Jay Lethal defends the Ring of Honor World Championship uh, against Flip Gordon. He defeats him in 14 minutes and 21 seconds. Jay Lethal, accompanied by the genius, Lanny Poffo. Flip Gordon, accompanied by Brandy Rhodes. Uh, again, I don't think this was necessarily a great match, um, but I am a big fan of Ring of Honor Jay Lethal. I've always been a fan of Jay Lethal, but I feel like he's taken it to another level in Ring of Honor. I was glad to see you know him get this spot. Um, he has meant so much to the last five years of Ring of Honor. He really has. Um, and yeah, again, this was not a great match. Uh, it was a better than good match. Um, I'm not sure what you thought about it, but uh, I listen, it was a good match. And, and I mean, we skip kind of skipped over why Lanny Poffo was with Jay lethal, right? It's because in this match, Jay lethal brought back his black machismo persona. Yep. They kind of did it in a silly way, but this kind of silly works for me. He got hit in the shoulder, he turns into Black Machismo, and he's wearing actual Randy Savage gear, like the jacket and that, yeah. uh, from from his WCW run. So, I mean, it was that was kind of cool, and the way they worked it into the match, there was a little bit of ha-ha there, but he got to business and won seriously. It was a Jay Lethal match. I like Jay Lethal. I think he's good at what he does. Yep, I agree. Up next, uh, Kenny Omega uh, defeated Penta L0M, 17 minutes and 47 seconds. Listen, Kenny hits a whole bunch of V-triggers, finally catches the one-winged angel 
or one winged angel and uh, picks up the win against a guy that he will become very familiar with in the next couple of years. Yep. Really good match. Uh, again, I think this was, you know, for both of these guys, sort of their introduction to the American audience for people who didn't know who they were. Um, you know, they went out there and, and for lack of a better term, they had a, a finisher and semi-finisher fest. Uh, but it was really good. Uh, did a great job. Again, I think this was the highest rated match of the night, according to Meltzer. Four and a half stars, tied with the main event. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was really really good. Uh, this was you know sort of that match where I think if you're probably going to watch one match of this card, I would say probably this one. Yeah, I'd agree with I'd that. I'd say prob. I'd say if you were gonna ma- watch one match, I would say probably this one. Maybe the next one. Well, the next one is uh, our old buddy, the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. He defeated Marty Skrull. It went twenty six minutes and five seconds. Yeah, that was way too long. As a matter of fact, it was way too long for the guys producing the matches in the building. They were told to go home a whole lot earlier and just didn't. Yeah. Um, the reason that's the reason why the main event was less than 12 minutes was less than 12 minutes. Yeah. They killed the main event, which is sad uh, because I think the main, again, you can't really do a six man tag in 12 minutes. Yeah, exactly. It just, it, it, and again, not taking it. Like if you look at this match for what it was, uh, Okada and Skrull 26 minutes, if you look at it for what it was, it was an amazing wrestling match. But when you look at it in terms of the fact that it cut five to six minutes off of the main event, like that downgrades it to me. In a bubble, it was a great match. They told a great story. You know, again, this is one of those things where not a lot of American people maybe knew who Okada was. Um, so it's kind of it. You know, and I mean, he hasn't wrestled a whole lot on American soil since, but you know, this was this was a great display by by Okada and Skrull, I think. Um, but like I said, when when you look at what it did to the main event, that's to me sort of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. And I leave that more on Skrull's um, plate more than I do Okada, because in Japan for a lot of the time, like they don't really have hard outs for TV for a lot of new Japan shows. They're on TV a lot, but they don't really have hard outs for them. Um, so if you go a couple of minutes over here, a couple of minutes over there, it's not really that big of a deal. There's always some, a lot of buffer put in and wrestling pay-per-view in Japan is not really that much of a thing. Yeah. So, and Okada's use like twenty six minutes for Okada is just him warming up. Yeah. For a lot of his Japanese. Yeah, he's uh, a forty to fifty minute guy regularly. Regularly, especially at this point, because we're just coming off the Omega uh, Okada series, and like he was the guy. This is red haired Okada, so he's not the champion, but he's having some fun and. And he had just come off like a 700-day reign as IWGP champion. So 
like he's kind of loosened up a little bit. It's uh, like it, it was a good match. I don't think there was any need for it to go 26 minutes, but especially with the main event, then going in 1148 and the main event was the golden elite of Kota Ibushi and the young bucks defeating bandito Ray Phoenix and Ray Mysterio. Um, that, as I said, that match went 11 minutes and 48 seconds. If that match goes 1151, they are off the air. Yeah. That's the thing is, uh, you know, they had a hard out here and it kind it sucked. It really did. Um, you know, I think that there was some really good stuff. I, I still think the main event was really good. Um, you know, I think in hindsight, the main event kind of becomes known more for what happened after the cameras went off um, than when the cameras were on. Because I, I think it was a great match. But, you know, I think what happened after the cameras went off is sort of the reason why we're talking about this today. Because, you know, the cameras go off. Um, you know, there's a bunch of them in the ring. Uh, Kenny comes back out to the ring. I think Flip might come back out to the ring. I think Brandy comes back out to the ring. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Everybody the that was associated with the elite, with the exception of Marty Skrull. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, I think Papa Buck is in there. I think, um, one of the Jackson's wives, maybe both of their wives were in there. Um, and essentially they're addressing the crowd and they're talking about, you know, how nobody said we would be. Able, and, and the best part about this, you can watch this on YouTube. Um, the best part is nobody left the building, which in sporting terms is completely friggin' unheard of. <laughs> when the thing is over, you're running to the exit to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. No, if you watch the YouTube video of this, nobody left. Everybody was still in the building, standing up. And they passed the microphone around, you know, the Bucks talk, Cody talks. Uh, I think Kenny might have talked a little bit. But they start hinting that they have more things planned. And literally, like, Monday after this event was done, the wrestling dirt sheets start talking about, we think there's more to this than just a one-off Ring of Honor involved event. We think these guys are building a wrestling promotion. And, you know, again, so let's look at what happened after this. Um, a few months later, Cody and the Bucks, along with a bunch of others, uh, disassociate themselves and they leave Ring of Honor which is sort of, again, you know, in those four months between All In and, and when these start happening, there's there's constant rumors and, and innuendos. You know, Meltzer's talking about it. Alvarez is talking about it. Wade Keller's talking about it. You know, that they think that there's things happening behind the scenes to sort of make a, a new promotion. Now, because I, I, I have a question I want to ask you about this. Yeah. Do you think Ring of Honor got done wrong in this? with all of the production help and things like that and blessing the all in event that four months afterwards, 
everybody that's involved leaves the company to go start their own. I mean, here's the thing. Maybe. But let's play devil's advocate here. If you're Ring of Honor and you know this event is happening and you understand the scale of it, you should have already been working to lock these guys into new deals. And 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 if the writing was on the wall before the event that these guys weren't interested in new deals, and you would know that they were getting the feeling that something else was going to happen. And then maybe you could have pulled back a little bit. So while I do think that to a certain extent, Ring of Honor was quote-unquote used here, I also think it would be extremely naive if we didn't point out that they should have had the business sense to see what was happening and realize, you know what, like a lot of these guys, you know, we don't have them signed to long-term deals or we're only paying them one match at a time. And again, I mean, Ring of Honor still got, you know, their world title was on the show. Uh, I believe, I, I know for a long period of time, they owned the rights to All In. I don't know if they still own the rights to the event itself, um, if or if or if the Bucks and AEW eventually purchased that. But I know for a long time they held the the, the marketing rights after the show to All In. Um, so like they didn't come out of this with a completely losing hand. But I, I definitely think you know from a from a high level optics standpoint, it you could definitely make the case that that they were used um, here a little bit. So what happened on January 1st, 2019? Well, January 1st, 2019, the famous episode of Being the Elite, where they are in Tokyo. Because again, most of them at this point are in Japan, because Wrestle Kingdom was the third, I believe, that year. Fourth. Always January 4th. Okay, so there are a few days ahead of Wrestle Kingdom, um, where... You know, most of them are are on the card at Wrestle Kingdom, um, and they're standing, in, you know, in the street, and they have they hold up their phones, and they've got this logo that AEW, and you know they uh, also have a little logo that says Double or Nothing, and man, we're off. The best part about this is there's absolutely no additional context. It's at the end of the video. And th- like in in the in the in the several episodes leading up to this, there were phone there was this whole angle that Kenny couldn't find his phone. Or was it Hangman that couldn't find his phone? I think it was Hangman. Hangman couldn't find his phone. And we kept seeing phones with countdowns on them and and like they they're really like drip feeding the, the the this here because again at this point you know it's widely reported that there's something is going to happen and it's it's a matter of when not if and just think for people if for, if you don't know at this time all of new japan's contracts with the with the foreign talent were all one year contracts that ended january 6th so yep. they're launching this on January 1st. Yep. Uh, and, I, and I was up, by the way, at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch this video. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. January 1st, my birthday, by the way, like to point out, is my birthday. Cards and letters, check out his Amazon wish list. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. I woke up at 
4 a.m. Atlantic time and watch this video because I knew the implications of the announcement that they were going to make. And I wanted to see how it was done. And, you know, again, end of the video, no elaboration, no commentary, just double or nothing, AEW, and we're completely off to the races. We do get, you know, a press release the next day. We do find out that uh, the billionaires, uh, Shadid and Tony Khan, who at the, that point owned several sports franchises, uh, namely the Jacksonville Jaguars, which we have become very familiar with. Also, Fulham FC, which is a English Premier League soccer organization. Oh, excuse me. Football. Football. Sorry. My bad. So this is on the second. Um, Cody and the Young Bucks officially signed with the promotion as not only performers, but also as AEW's co-executive vice presidents. Uh, again, the company primarily is run by Tony Khan, who is Shadid's son, um, obviously super rich, but also uh, Tony was a lifelong wrestling fan. He has been uh, a wrestling fan his entire life, has a wealth of knowledge on the wrestling industry. This wasn't just a bunch of guys with money getting into the wrestling business. Tony Khan has a very intimate uh, relationship with wrestling and just thought this was kind of sort of a natural thing for them and then we're kind of into a, a, a the whole first week of 2019 a lot of exciting things happening um cody's wife brandy was announced as the chief brand officer on january 3rd and then of course had a merch line put out called chief brandy officer uh literally five minutes after the announcement was made um and you know there's towards the weekend they announced that on january 8th they're going to hold like an inaugural press conference um, outside of the Jaguar Stadium, which at that time was known as TIAA Bank Field uh, there in Jacksonville. And there was a lot of rumors going into this. Um, a lot of people were concerned that Kenny wasn't involved in any of the original stuff, despite being sort of involved with the BTE episodes that led to the announcement. Uh, you know, when we get to this press conference, the only per the only people we knew that were signed were Cody, Nick and Matt Jackson, and Brandy Rhodes. That was all that we knew. There was no mention of Kenny, no mention of Hangman. And so we go into the so I guess my, my thing is like when you look at this and your this press conference is happening, are you excited worried nervous like when you tuned into this press conference as a wrestling fan how did you feel uh i was happy to see somebody with some money and some wrestling love yeah get into it get get into this like yeah. this isn't a guy looking for a tax write-off this, this isn't a guy he knows he's not going to make a pile of money in a year. Like he knows this, like he's smart enough to know that this is a long-term prospect, uh, but it's worth taking the shot. Yeah. Because I mean, let, let's be honest. Tony has money because his father has money. Yep. His, if his father says no, 
then none of this happens. Um, now, that being said, AEW is a bit more on the self-sufficient side now for reasons we'll get into in our next episode. But I was excited to see who was going to join. Yeah. So we get to this press conference, which is on, I believe, a Monday night or a Tuesday night. It was just a, a weekday evening, and I think it was relatively early. I think it was like 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern, obviously. It they was had it a, outside. Well, it was a Monday night because yeah. it was the same night uh, WWE uh, had a Raw show at the... Just across town, just across, across, I don't even think it was across town. I think it was across the street. Yeah, there, there was. The, so that's kind of the interesting part of this, right? Is, you know, obviously Jacksonville's going to be home base for them. You know, the the cons have their headquarters right there next to the football stadium. Um, so obviously, you know, a parking lot in Jacksonville at the football stadium made sense. It just so happened that Monday Night Raw was across the road. I mean, go figure. So we get this press conference started. It's hosted by uh, a guy who we've mentioned way too many times in this podcast, Conrad Thompson, uh, who has been, you know, relatively involved with a lot of AEW things, more less so during COVID, but, um, you know, he's been a, he's been a big uh, supporter of their stuff. And we start seeing them roll out a bunch of talents. Um, you know, we see uh, SoCal Uncensored, Christopher Daniels, Scorpio Sky, Frankie Kazarian, which I think we kind of assumed because, again, they were big parts of being the elite, the show. Uh, it only made a natural association that they would also be part of, of all elite wrestling. Um, we get we see Hangman Adam Page, um, who comes out and proclaims that he will be the first AEW world champion, uh, which confirms AEW will have a world championship, which up until that point, we didn't know. Um, the hangman proclaims he will be the first uh, AEW world champion. We see uh, who would have, who would for the first several months of AEW's existence, be the face of the women's division, Dr. Britt Baker, um, who we may do a whole episode about someday down the road. Uh, we see Joey Janela. We're our first big surprise, Pac, formerly known as Neville in WWE, uh, also proclaims he will be the first AEW world champion. So, so, so then we just they just shut it down and went home after that, right? They just shut it down and went home. Um, you know, they're they've made a few announcements during the show. You know, they've revealed the people that we just named. Uh, you know, they've sort of had a, a few little different uh, news interludes here. Obviously, we heard Cody and the Bucks speak. Cody spent a lot of time talking about how this is not like this is going to be a different wrestling promotion. You know, we're going to treat people like employees, uh, you know, like we're going to treat people how, how they should be treated. Uh, obviously, taking direct shots at the people who were probably peering out the office windows in the building across the road. Um, that you know, like so, and then you start seeing in the, in the next few days things like mentions of like things like health insurance and stuff that are going to be in the contracts for these performers. And Conrad comes up, and you know he, he's saying, you know, who do you think is going to be the first world champion? Do you think it'll be Hangman? Do you think it'll be Pac? Do you think it'll be Cody? Do you think it could be one of the Young Bucks? Like teasing, well, they're going to break up already. AEW hasn't even started yet, and then. 
music hits, and at that exact moment, everything gets taken to a whole other level. And that level we are going to talk about in our next episode of Ringside Rewind. Chris, tell them where they can find us on the internet. They can find us on the internet at twit on Twitter at Ringside Rewind. You can also find us on Facebook at Ringside Rewind uh, or on our website at ringsiderewind.com. On Twitter, he is at SnaggleJ. I am at CD Lawrence. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Ringside Rewind. Uh, if you're listening on our website, ringsiderewind.com, or in your uh, podcast app of choice on Android or iOS, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We love hearing your feedback. Reach out to us on the social medias that Chris mentioned. But again, until next time, we break the walls down and be kind and rewind.